Hey, Socially Distant Sports Bar fans, welcome to the Socially Distant Sports Bar. I want you guys to be thinking about helping your friends out and changing their lives. We love having all of you on board as part of the Socially Distant Sports Bar crew, the Distant Pod listeners. You guys mean a lot to us. We would love it if there were even more of you. And if some of your friends headed in our direction, that would make us super happy. The best way of getting people involved in the podcast, I think, is to send them one of our pint-sized Distant Pod episodes because they're a bit shorter, a little bit less time investment for them, but it gives them a pretty good idea of what it is that we do on Distant Pod. So recent weeks, Ellis's Jamie Carragher, we all watched the Kiss one. That is up as <laughs> as a little snippet from the Socially Distant Sports Bar. That is Pint Size Distant Pod 26. If you search for that, it's called We All Watch the Kiss. Send that to some of your mates. Pint Size Distant Pod 28 is just called Simon. It is. It is Simon Slice. Okay. It is the little bit that Ellis and Mike go off on about Kimbo Slice that, again, is one of my favorite bits that I think will bring people into listening to the podcast. If you've got a mate who you think will really enjoy the Socially Distant Sports Bar, that is one of the best ways of selling it to them. If you could do that little bit of work for us, we'd be very, very, very appreciative. And then pick whatever your favourite episode is, or maybe a best of. Pick one of the best ofs. There's about five of them on there. And just send that over to them. Hopefully, they will see what you see podcast and maybe aren't put off by the word sport in the title as an example if you are not a subscriber you are not a true believer in the podcast i'm not sure that's the right phrase if you can afford a quid a month head over to spotify search for the socially distant sports bar extra and subscribe there for a pound a month you will get a load of extra content you get a second round of clips every single episode when we do an episode with a guest you get half an hour's extra. So there's half an hour of Sam Warburton that you haven't listened to that is waiting for you. There is about 40 minutes, I think, of the Kate Mason episode that is waiting there for you. If you have a little bit more money to spare and you want to listen to us talking about movies, uh, head over to patreon.com slash distantpod. There's a four quid a month option. There's a six quid a month option. There's an eight quid and a 10 quid. Uh, the eight and 10, you get Michael Owen's Movie Club, which is us every single month talking to you about a movie that we have watched, okay? Because Michael Owen never watched any movies. I think he watched six in his life, so that's the idea for the title of that. If you wish to be so generous, it would be great to get you involved in that. Those are always about an hour long, and we talk about a different movie every single month. Sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of this week's Socially Distant Sports Bar. Documentary time on the Socially Distanced Sports Bar. It's my choice uh, this time round. I was looking for something I could do that was an audio version this time. We do it sometimes, and 
I was trying to combine doing some exercise and doing the podcast research as well. So I just thought, right, okay, let's go with something audio so then we can get everything done that we need to get done in life. So this is on BBC Sounds. It is from the World Service series of documentaries. Not all of them are about sports. Some of them are just about stuff. And this one is Battling the Waves at Women Pro Surfers. Surfing connects you with the ocean in the most powerful way I know. Just you and your surfboard, harnessing the immense power of a wave, taking you on the most exhilarating ride of your life. But it can be dangerous, life-threatening too. So I paddle out, all of a sudden the horizon got dark, got black with these huge set. Lynn Boyer, former world champion. And I started scratching and there's no way I can make it past the set. And the first wave broke way in front of me, and I dove under, got smashed around, came up, the second one, same thing. And by the third one, I was so exhausted, it pushed me so far down that it was dark. I couldn't see which way was up. And I started panicking. Somehow I went the right way, and I got up and I went. <sighs> and I saw all these stars, and that was the closest to drowning that ever happened. Welcome to Women Pro Surfers Battling the Waves on the BBC World Service. I didn't know anything about pro surfing, let alone women's pro surfing. I didn't know pro surfing. I've got an in-depth knowledge of it at all. But I'm fascinated by equality within sport at the moment and how far you have to go back to see where anyone gave enough of a shit to allow women to do what men have almost always done. And I find that really interesting. You look at football, and we've spoken about how it was illegal, you know, for a huge period of time, but was provably massive during the war. You look at rugby and you go, the Six Nations, they aren't even all professional international teams. And you trace it back and you go, well, the 80s would be where they started having proper national teams and World Cups. And then, fucking hell, you... Mm. All sports have got this sort of moment where someone, usually a woman who has to then spend most of her career having a shit time of things, stands up and goes, "Yeah, absolutely, yeah, trouble, isn't it?" Fucking hell! Why haven't why why haven't we got yeah. a women's pro tour? Why aren't we pro athletes? And the woman in the case of this one is the woman who fronts the documentary as well. So it's She's Patty Paniccia, who was a surfer in the seventies. Yeah, this is her journey, and it's amazing. Bit like uh, Catherine Switzer, I suppose, with the running. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Who, you know, ran the Boston Marathon in 1967, I think. I, I didn't know anything about surfing. I still know very little about it, mm. but I must admit I was very surprised because I assumed yes. this is, this was be that surfing had never had a big yeah. gender divide. Yes. And I assumed that it was something that all people did in the countries where surfing is very popular. I, I thought it was something the kids did and that, you know, there, there was there was no gender divide in it at all. And also, I think because of the sort of image surfing as now, I assume they were always very right on. Cool, mm. yeah. Yeah. Laid back. And, I mean, and it's bizarre, really, that you, you have to use the phrase right on to mean a fair and equitable gender balance. But I assume that unlike football, for instance, which doesn't have that kind of reputation or image, I assume that surfing was one of those sports where women had always felt welcome. And I had absolutely no idea that they were treated like this. And I had no idea as well that 
young girls weren't encouraged to surf. And if they fancied giving it a go, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to see if you live by the beach and you see people surfing to think, oh, I quite fancy that because that looks like fun. Yeah. That boys would relentlessly take the piss and tease you or prevent you from doing so. And then if you did give surfing a go, you were given like the shit waves. Yeah, that was a bit I found fascinating. And there's a bit at the start where, you know, the in the very early competitions that allowed female entrants, they were given the crap surf. And they were given the shit times. I I, I hadn't realised as well that really, really good waves to surf are at a premium. And so it is very competitive. So I think the, the men were thinking, well, fucking hell. I mean, if we're, we're going to, if we could possibly doubling the amount of entrance, then that means there's less room for all of us. And it's, it's it can be quite competitive when you're on the water mm. because you're trying to make the most of the best waves. And then, of course, when women were eventually allowed to compete, when they were going for sponsors, it was things like edible knickers. Cool. Were like, yeah, we'll sponsor you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Fuck no. hell! And they were, and and the organisers were trying to get to them to do wet t-shirt competitions, and and they were, they were purely seen as sexual objects at the beginning. Yeah, I love this doc. It's the most I've enjoyed an audio doc. I think because she's she God, she's so positive, right? Yes. The, the the shit. It's when people can stay positive and go through all the shit they go through. Yeah. So she must have seen it. You know. And and the the girl so um, Gidget right at the very beginning the older lady who um, she was inspired to surf by and watching the TV series they're talking to her at the beginning as well she's ninety yeah she sounds like yeah. forty she so does it, and it, she's it, still surfing when she can but she said even that even when she just walks along the ocean she just she's always imagining surfing still she's ninety years of age oh and that that bit right at the end when she's talking about that I, I probably filled up in the car listening to that bit yes me too it yeah. was so evocative. Mm. The whole doc's amazing. But yeah, so is that Moana, the uh, the Hawaiian surfer. Yeah. Who's brilliant, right? Just the positivity of it, I, I really I really liked. Like she's a fantastic surfer, obviously. But she was saying in Hawaii, there was never that because we, everyone surfed. We'd have on islands and it was just your mum surfed, your dad surfed, your brother surfed, your sister surfed, mm. everyone surfed. I was like, yeah, I, th- I just assumed, because this is that sort of counterculture. Yeah. That had been at the forefront of like women's labor that's got it back in the day, right? But yeah. it wasn't that at all. Yeah. As bad as they thought it was in America, and it was bad in America, when they first did that tour, they said, we went to Australia, and it yes. was 10 times worse. 10 times worse, well, yeah. Yeah, they all just saw women as being groupies, and therefore were just trying to shag all of the female yeah, competitors. Yeah. And also, really weak excuses for not allowing women to compete in serving competitions. Like, oh, well, if they bloody fall off the board, Muggins here will have to rescue us. So, you know, it's, it's dangerous, actually. They were competitive surfers. Well, that was all the same bullshit they used with the, with the runners and with football and with boxing. And you know, it's always a stick they used to. You know, we're doing this for you. That's a horrible sort of paternalism. We're doing this for your own good. Fuck off. Don't tell me what's good for me. The bits where they were saying, like, I might have to drag someone out of the sea. And then the shit. And yeah. yeah. Patty was saying, oh, you would, yeah, but I've, I've done that with blokes. I've pulled yeah. blokes yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. sea. I'll be all right. Yeah. I'm going to be all right here. Well, I was listening to the first part with Kelly. She'd get ready for work. Yeah. And she's like, God, just the word allow. Yes. It pisses me off. Just listen to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, are we going to allow you to do this, allow you to do that? You know, what? what uh, oh, yeah, it, it, it blew my mind. I mean, it was interesting to see when they went to South Africa, where they got basically badly lied to, right? Hmm. They had, because uh, coming from the West Coast, I suppose, it would have been different if you come from the South, hmm. but they had no idea about the apartheid thing. I hmm. didn't realize what it was like. He said, so we'd go into a bar with like some dark-skinned Hawaiian mm. man and me. You know, we'd have to get out because I was a woman and he was black. And they, they, 
we were both discriminated against. I suppose as a woman, you, you, you were you were used to that in America, being discriminated against for a long, long time, right? And the rest of the world. But to go to South Africa and see that, and be right in the middle of apartheid as well, when that was going on. They, they said about the, with, the, with the apartheid thing, there'd be beaches. Talk about fucking hell. Yeah. The white beaches would have shark nets. And yeah. the black beaches wouldn't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 like, it's, it's one of those things that said really throw away. And it was only sort of the second time I was listening back to it where I went, what? Yeah. You're literally saying your life is worth yeah. nothing. Yeah. And I'd go and have a swim in the, yeah. Yeah. I just thought the whole talk, there was those little, um, the little interludes with, with the sort of uh, Hawaiian music. And then she, when she finally, when Patty gives up uh, professional surfing, goes back, does a law degree, becomes an advocate for equality in sport, and, and but still surfs. She said, I used to surf before, I chose the law school next to the beach. Yeah. So I could surf every morning before lessons. What a cool. I love that bit. Cool in terms person. of mental well-being, mm. I can't think of a sport that must be better for you than surfing. Mm. So the way she was talking about it, because I, you know, I went to university. I did fuck all before the lectures I didn't attend. And <laughs> the, the idea that if my lectures Sorry, were... Don't tell me. It's true. Go on. Were, were at 9am. Yes. The idea that I'd been out on the water since 7am surfing and then I went yeah. to study. Mm. I mean... What a, and then doing it after lectures have ended as well. It must be absolutely amazing. You'd have got a different degree, wouldn't you? A completely different yeah. degree, and I'd have a, I'd a completely different life as well. I watched that Barry Allen doc on ITV last night, which I mentioned. It was really good fun to watch it because you see people you know, and there's a lot of drone footage of. I've never seen views of Barry like that before. Mm. But the one fellow there who drives the tractor that drags the sort of. Um, that rakes the sand every morning, right? Okay, so yeah. When you go to Barry early in the morning, you'll see the sand's immaculate. There's no, there's no litter anywhere. It's all been raked. He goes up and down this tractor. He's been doing that job for 23 years. He loves it. Yeah, yeah. He's telling me at 6 o'clock in the morning, I yeah. get on the tractor. This is my view. That I go up cool. and down a beach. I thought, fuck I'd it. Love that is a cool job. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that is fun. So there's something about, I'm a Barry boy, but something about being near the sea. I know they, when they, when they you know, they would call it the ocean, wouldn't they? They live in, in Wales, mm. but we would call it the sea. But it's just—it's just amazing, just the sound of it and the, the look of it. Mm. Do we pick Big Wednesdays a film? For no, we've never done it. No, have we not? Oh God, I should, because I, I used to watch that film all the time. And it's one of those things that I—I and it's daft to say it because I could just do it, but I, I wished I'd learned to surf. Mm. Like Dave, who does the uh, uh, my mate's an electrician, he's been doing a bit of work here. He's sixty, Dave. Fucking, hell, he looks forty. Really? If that. But surfs all the time. Goes down to Rest Bay and loves it. Yeah. So he's fit, you know, he's good for his mental health, it's good for his physical health. Listen to these girls on here. Like, I, I couldn't believe Gidget was 90. I'd have to look her up because she does, she does, she sounds nothing like a 90 year old self. Yeah. Wow, what a way to spend your life. I like people who, people who battle for stuff are fascinating. Yeah. So Patty's obviously battled in the 70s to get the women's surf tour in existence and to make it happen. Mm. And then when she finished sort of pro surfing, she went into journalism, became a TV presenter and was on CNN and had a kid in 1990. And the CNN executive vice president, I'm going to use his name because he sounds like a right bellend, uh, Ed Turner, criticized her choice to have children and questioned her ability to continue working as a TV presenter, having had a child. So he had a second child then in 92. She was fired on the assumption that she would be incapable of maintaining a regular work schedule 
while caring for two children. What a tricky. Pregnancy discrimination suit she then takes against CNN, uh, gets national attention. Uh, CNN settled the case two years later. Is he related to Ted Turner? I don't I don't know. I don't know. What a cock. Oh, yeah, completely. Unbelievable. Well, you know, um, Gidget, so Kathy Kona Zuckerman. Yes. She sounds great, doesn't she? Who was the real-life inspiration for the fictional character of Franzi, nicknamed Gidget, mm. which comes from Girl and Midget because she, she was so mm. small. The novel, which was written by her dad, because he became fascinated by surf culture. She was the only one who was surfing. Mm. And then she would come home and she would use different you know, vernacular and language because she was hanging out with surfers in the same way that kids now speak differently to how we spoke when we were growing up. So he became f- fascinated by the sort of slang and jargon of surfing. So he wrote the book about it and then the novel and then it became a movie. And the, the novel is called Gidget, the little girl with big ideas because she's a girl and she wants to go surfing. Big ideas. And it's, it's amazing. I mean... It's partly that because she's she's about five foot ones and she's yeah yeah I get it. I used to call her the Gidget, but I mean it's it's a big idea. The idea that a girl could just take up surfing is extraordinary, and and she's still got her diaries from the nineteen fifties, like her sort of the diary she kept as a teenager, and it's about being taught to surf by one of the boys, and she's like, oh, he he allowed me to do it himself, and he didn't take you know he didn't take the the piss effectively, but she was trading sandwiches with people to to allow her time to surf like she'd be making sandwiches for people it's just it's just incredible that it was so difficult for a teenage girl to surf when all the teenage boys were doing it and they were living in Malibu I like the turning point when they said about we talked about on this pod before the Billie Jean King yeah battle of the sexes tennis match yeah yeah was was a was a turning point for women's sport in general I think I can't, hear Billy, I can't hear the name Billy Jean King anymore since you got it confused with Billy Jean the other day without singing it in my head now. <laughs> the man that got commissioned for BBC One, which is... Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. Well done. But there's a line there which I just, I just loved writing it, where his only reference, like he's working with a girl who's in a relationship with another woman, and just to try to sound cool, he just talks about Billy Jean King all the time. Because <laughs> because I thought if you're from the seventies you, you, and you liked sport, you'd only really know Billie Jean King because it was such a big deal. Yeah. So his way of showing that, yeah, that's, I'm cool with that. He just keep and she's asking, can, can you please stop talking about Billie Jean King? <laughs> but it was such a big deal. That would have been such a big deal at the time. And that tour. But they said even then with the tour, the one she said, I won six hundred dollars, and it was a tenth of what the what the, the male yeah, prize was, that's was six thousand. Yeah, and she was making the point that. Because of the novelty value, thousands of people were turning up to watch. Mm. So she's saying, if you want to draw attention to your sponsors, then in reality, you should be paying the women more because thousands of people have turned up to, to watch women mm, surf exactly. because they're fascinated by it. And yet you're paying us 10% of the purse that the men are yeah. getting. They'll switch on eventually. It's happening now with, with women's football, right? Mm. And this, this is not meant to sound sexist, right? But whether it's online or whether it's in person, the people who do most of the shopping still, are women, right? Okay, yeah. I would say, right? I, I go to the shop and I do all the other stuff. And okay. I, but I think Kelly, if we're going to get the stuff delivered, she'll go online and, and sort up the, the, what we need for the week. And in the days before that, I would go and I would go with her, but but we would go shopping together, but she would sort of choose all the stuff and put it in the trolley, right? So I think a lot of, I would say that most purchases in the house are made by a woman or okay. certainly influenced greatly by a woman. 
So advertisers must, if you fucking, if, if you're not appealing to a, to a female audience, you are missing out on a, on a yeah, yeah, huge man. amount. Just, just financially makes no sense. You look at that Champions League. I remember Ben going to see the Women's Champions League final about 10 years ago. Yeah. Whenever it was in Cardiff, right? But it was in Cardiff City Stadium because there was like 15, 20,000 people there and they could they couldn't, you know, tickets were really easy to get, not very expensive. Yeah. And now it's massive. Like, you know, the, the Women's Champions League final is 65,000 people and it's huge. And it'll keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, it, and it, it'll seem weird in 15 years' time, hopefully, that it was ever an issue. It'll just seem daft that it was an issue. Yes, I agree with that. It, yeah, I find it very, but I don't it, know. But, but it would have taken people like Patty and them and Billie Jean King and those people are bloody, yeah. to, not to put up with that bullshit. So this, is, this doesn't what's, make any what's sense. What's so sad, though, is that they didn't have the careers they mm. deserved. No, because they spent their whole because life. Because they had to spend the, the, the peak years of, the, what, of their career campaigning yeah. rather than... Well, she says that there's only six on the female tour. So she's one of the top six servers in the world, probably. And the, the next year, she couldn't afford to go. She couldn't afford to go on the tour. That's weird. It's going to cost her money. The, the initial prize money being like a tenth of 10% of what you know, the, the men were earning. Or turning up in South Africa and then saying, well, there's no prize money. Yeah, there isn't prize money. We've just come 12,000 miles for this. Yeah. The current England deaf football team can't afford to go to the World Cup. They were doing crowdfunding for it. Yeah, and they, they didn't reach a target, so they can't yeah. go. So they're having one last push. You would think that the England deaf football team would be able to represent their country at World Cup. You would think that. You'd, you'd think that, that, well, that you'd think there'd be a bit of money kicking around in football, wouldn't you? Yeah. 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 I find it really... It's no, it, And again, this is a broad brushstroke, but it's normally going to be a man in his 40s to 60s who is in charge of most of these sporting organisations. Whatever the sport is, it will probably be a man percentage-wise or the board yeah. will percentage-wise be heavily swayed towards men in that age category. The middle age white bloke. sway very, very white as well. Mm. I've just Googled yes. it. Uh, yesterday, Frank Hester mm. uh, donated 15 grand, which means that they've now got enough money for the England deaf women's football team to go to the 2023 World Cup. I think a lot of... Because I was asked to tweet about yeah. this a couple of days I think a lot of our Patreons chucked in, because there was a Patreon fund that they collected for people who were on sort of hard times and couldn't maintain their Patreons. Yeah. And they've chucked a load of that into it as well. But that's not the first time that the England Deaf Women's team has had to launch an appeal for funds to take part in a major tournament. And they shouldn't have they shouldn't have to do that to represent no. their country at a World Cup. But they've got no other choice. It's... It's it's incredible, really. It, it, I think it's ridiculous. But anyway, but yeah, it's on the one on the back of this '76 tour. They said that we finally get some recognition in the, in, in like the the magazines and the press and whatever. They talk about these Hawaiian, you know, ladies going to. I think was it was it Rio? I can't remember yeah. where it was. The second one. They said the person on the cover of the magazine wasn't any of us. It was, it was a model. They just put a model in a in a swimsuit. Yeah, yeah. And she was saying, if I wore that swimsuit surfing, I would lose the top. And then she pauses and goes, yeah. and probably the bottoms. And yeah. it's just it's the, the most impractical I'd, thing. Well, that's the other thing, mate. That, that I know what you say about your mental and, and physical well-being. Mm. Bloody hell, if you, if you don't know what you're doing. Oh, Christ. I bet that, goes, I bet that can go wrong in a fucking hurry. I mean, you, you're not, you can't mess with the seat, mate. No, absolutely. Unless you, you will lose. Yeah, 100%. The, the bits of... Not even the abject sexism, the bits that are just lazy sexism where O'Neill send them a bunch of surf wetsuits. With big boobs. That are for basically for 
women who are got no muscles and big boobs. And yeah. that's what they assume they're all going to be. And they can't do them mm. up because their muscles are too big, but there's loads of room because they haven't got these, you know, I don't know, triple G boobs that O'Neill were hoping they would have <laughs> to surf with. And you just think, Jesus Christ. Just the bullshit, isn't it? Jesus. You don't, it's just one of those things that you'd never experience as a bloke. But that's the thing, yeah. No. But, but that's the thing with like, you know, someone's drawn a line on funding. I've never gone to rugby trials and thought that I'm going to get some of the best looking bloke there. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Of course you have. You have been to rugby trials where you think you're going to get in that. because you're the best looking bloke there. <laughs> but that, yeah, so that's it, the, one of the questions early on is, did you choose, can't remember the name of the surfer because she posed in Playboy, or did you choose her because she was the best? And the guy goes, yeah, because she was the best. <laughs> in a really unconvincing. And that's not to say for a moment that her choice to be in Playboy, that's her choice. If she wants to be in Playboy, yeah. that's perfect. And she was one of the best surfers in the world, but they said, she, you know, but the person who was the best. Yeah, wasn't chosen. Yeah. But that's, that's interesting as well then, where later on there's one of the women talking and she says, I want to be, you know, the best surfer. I also want to be sexy. I know, so I'm not, I'm not saying for a moment exactly. those two things have to be but you can't, diametrically opposed, but I can't decide that. No, and you can't win then, though. It's like it was you in tennis. Think of all the shit women had in tennis for years and years for like an equal pay. Yeah. If someone like, um, who was the girl? Was it Sharapova? Kornikova. When Anna Kornikova turns around there and sort of monetizes her good looks. Yes. People say you're not taking the sport seriously. Yeah. So hang on a minute. When you, when you were monetizing it and making money off it, that was okay. Yeah. But now that I'm my own boss, and I, yeah. I'm making the same as the blokes, and I'm monetizing it for my own purposes. Yeah, yeah. You've got a problem with that, have you? There's a boxer called Ebony Bridges, and she turns up to her weigh-in, yeah. wearing lingerie, oh, and has a joke that she's permanently trying to distract Eddie Hearn and make him, you know, <laughs> yeah. just catch him out. And loads of people get into her online and go, oh, a really bad example. She, she's a world champion boxer. She's really good at it. And mm. the fact that she chooses to do whatever she wants to do doesn't make her less of an example to girls than Katie Taylor. It just makes her a different yeah. example to girls from Katie Taylor. Mm. And that's fine. Like, it winds me up, and, that sort of stuff. And her job, like we said before, her job's not to be a role model. Her job's to be a boxer. Yeah. She can do it whatever she and, wants And until she gets equal pay, she's still doing some OnlyFans stuff. Mostly for yeah. people with foot fetishes, which makes me laugh so much. She, but she's also, people think she's some sort of dumb blonde. Oh, Christ, no. She knows. She's, she, a, she's a maths teacher. Yeah. She's a maths teacher who just happens to be beautiful and blonde with a, with a great shape and... And can smash people's really, heads in. Kick your, face, kick your face in as well. Yeah. You can't win though, can you? You cannot win. That's the problem. Yeah. People have a go at her now for, for making money off that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's yeah. it's a fascinating thing to listen to. And yeah, <laughs> the link that I sent you guys as well, there is probably a better link, but the link that I, I sent to us also had whatever was coming up next on the world service and a bit of the news in there as well, which is uh, news oh, from the past that, makes yeah. me laugh a lot. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and an advert for a documentary about Sting. My favourite bit of the doc was, was the Pope dying. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole bit on the Pope dying. And I was like, <laughs> fucking hell, the Pope's died again. And then I, I went and made a coffee. So I went and made a coffee, came back in. So I'm a Pope Benedict being dead. I went, what? What? <laughs> the fuck is that going to do with women's dead in the 70s? Dead for ages. <laughs> Massive surf fan. <laughs> Pope Benedict. Yeah. On the front yeah, of the he's lawn. having a go to for fucking surfing on the Sabbath, was he? What's he doing? <laughs> so I'll try and find one that actually links to it, it as a podcast rather than as the radio thing, but it's fantastic. It's a really, really good listen, mate. It's a great listen. Yeah, She's really interesting. As an example of social history in an area where I know absolutely nothing, it's really, yeah. very interesting. But I've also started saying Hawaii 
as well. Hawaii, yeah. Yeah, Hawaii. I've been trying to pronounce it properly. I did before. <laughs> I've always had actually. No, because no, Elvis did a concert called Aloha from Hawaii. Did he? Most watched uh, telecast by a performer of all time. Still, over a billion people watched it. Okay. Just saying. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Alan's going to Google it and call bullshit on you later. Right. Book time. Right. Michael. Yes, it is good. I was, I was going to look at you. I was wondering if you then have a panic attack or not. But you've nope. just got yeah, some... yeah, I've got a book actually, mate. But I'll tell you where it is. It's in my toilet. Um, right. Go retrieve it for you. That, that, okay. Yes. Yes. It is a toilet read. Okay. Good. Good, good. Go get it. Go get it. We go over to the toilet wing of Bubbins Towers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back. Fresh from my ensuite. A phrase I never thought I'd say back in the day, but um. <clears throat> So this was given to me by friend of the podcast and all-round good egg, Mike Powell. Oh, lovely. Because he, he enjoyed reading this book 15, 20 years ago. Okay. And he couldn't find it. Yeah. Then he, th- then he found a copy on eBay, and then he, he read it again and brought it over for me. This is called Pod Almighty, the Dave Podmore story, which is basically a spoof account of yeah. uh, a cricketer's life. Oh, cool. Which was turned into a radio series. That, yes, this sounds familiar. But, but it would have been a while ago now. So, uh, as told to Christopher Douglas, Nick Newman, and Andrew Nichols. So, this came out in, I'll say when it came out now, uh, 96. Okay. okay. Nearly 30 years ago. So, Paul Almighty, the Dave Podmore story. And it just is, it's a lovely account of a cricketer from that period. So, what's Pauli? This would have been when Pauli probably started playing sort of county cricket. Yes. So when it was, it was a living, like we said before, but, you know, there would have been other stuff going on. Um there wasn't a huge money that it is now because of IPL and everything else. So, it, but it, but Pauli said quite rightly, it's a, it's a toilet read. You know, it's not going to win Pulitzer prizes. Yeah, you leave it in your loo and you just you flick through it and you pick a day at random. There's a quite a funny photo section in the middle as well. The foreword, I still can't believe it. Twenty three seasons in county cricket and still trundling. Who would have thought I'd still be putting it there or thereabouts at my age? Who would have thought I'd still be squirting singles and relishing the cauldron of a diarrhea finish just as much as when I was an apprehensive debutant? What an honour it's been to play this great game. What a privilege to have done it for eight different counties. And what a pleasure to be enjoying another year's trouble-free motoring courtesy of Ray Noble Nissan of Hinkley, <laughs> the East Midlands premier saloon and like commercial distributor. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all that sort of thing all the way through. It, it, um, and yeah, it's just, I'm just giggling along, reading it. I'll pick a day, read it. If you haven't got to read it in any sort of order. Obviously, you can't go on forever, but while there's still a demand for the more mature player who carries a ton of experience around with him, then I'll keep drawing my pay. And what a pay packet it's been. Stuffed with friendships, memories, hilarious escapades, and hotel corridors with the likes of Lammy, Gatty, Beefy, and by and by no means infrequent beverages with a certain gentleman whose name is not unadjacent to D. Gower Esquire. <laughs> I own a beautiful detached home. I've got five dogs and I've appeared on a question of sport with Ian Botham. What more could you want? And now to cap it all, I've been given the nod to write my own autobiography. Well, all you can say is, it's like a boy's own fairy tale dream come true. Regrets? None whatsoever. I'm not saying that I haven't been bad times along with the good times, because there have. Sometimes I've been so disappointed with the way I've been treated, I've totally lost faith in the human race. To <laughs> there are people running this game who couldn't spell the word integrity. If Carol Vorderman gave them letters on a silver salver, but I'll leave all that for the main part of the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Along with my views on politics, neatness, uh, the Pakistanis, and how proper marketing could make this great game. <laughs> how proper marketing could make this great game great again. You can sum up my love affair with cricket in one sentence. It's been one champagne moment after another. If I could do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. Actually, 
Champagne blows me up a bit, so I prefer to drink something with a bit less gas, like a draft bass or a sweet liqueur. <laughs> but if ever there was an occasion for lighting up a pan of teller and cracking open a bottle of bubbly, this would be it. If you have a quarter of the fun reading Pod Almighty as I've had been, being Pod Almighty, then believe me, I envy you. Your very good health, Pod. So it's, yeah, it's just funny. It's just like a, a good time cricketer. Yeah. Very much a journeyman who's gone from county to county. Yeah, I've seen him described as the, the perennially useless county player who found his niche as a sledging coach to the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> What's the word when he says, he talks about Lammy Gatti. Yeah, I like that. And he says an, an embryo. Embryo. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up with nicknames for people who don't have them. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So um, thank you, Mike Powell. This is Pod Almighty, the Dave Podmore story, which is described with the Independent as the funniest book ever written about cricket. There we go. Hope you enjoyed this week's social distance sports bar. That was part two. If you still haven't listened to part one, it's still available for you. Head back and have a listen. If you're new to the sports bar, go back to the very start. Be a completist. Work backwards, maybe. I don't know. Try and... What was that? Ellis uh, and John always had retro oneers when they did stuff on Radio X. They were people who kind of joined later on and had gone back and listened through the whole canon. There are more than 160 episodes there for you guys. I was trying to think. No, none of them are time-sensitive. That was kind of always the idea, was that these things would be what they call in the industry evergreen content, bits you can go back and have a listen to whenever. So do it. Be a completist. If, if there are jokes on the Facebook fan page that you are on that you don't get, there's a reason for that. Head back and have a listen to everything that we've done yeah, I'd love to know. Get on the Facebook group or on at Distant Pod on social media and tell me when you started listening to the podcast and how many you've got to make up. Thanks for listening. Catch you again next week. <laughs>